Hey there, OCD family community, and welcome back to another episode of the OCD Family Podcast. We are entering into part five of the Finding Unity in Diversity series, and I'm really excited for y'all to meet and hear from my special guests, Erin Nee and Bianca Simmons. Together, these two OCD specialists co-created ERP Kaleidoscope, whose aim is to help advance the voices of ERP treatment professionals of color and creating safety, support, and resources for people of color living with OCD. So you know the drill. Make yourself at home, fam, because we are ready to talk, and I can't wait for you to hear more. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent, and let me be the first to say... Welcome to the family, the CD family that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Okay, you guys, so this is the last Friday of February, and holy cow, I feel like this month just flew by. But I woke up today and I was grateful because I got an email that reminded me that three years ago today, I returned to work from maternity leave, this time in a new state with a new license to add to my California license and really the start of my entry into treating OCD. So today feels like a special anniversary of sorts. Now, three years ago, I was super excited that I was returning to the sacred space where I can meet clients and other hardworking clinicians to bring hope and healing. But three years ago, I didn't realize that the world was about to shut down. Though growing whispers and concerns for family that we had living abroad, very near the epicenter of a lot of action, was certainly on our minds. At the time, and certainly still today, I felt the privilege to start working again when I did because mental health needs were higher than ever, and I was able to meet people where they were, via telehealth, of course. But the pandemic, it wore on all of us. And life didn't cease to happen just because the shutdown was in place. If we zoom out just a few short months later, here in the U.S. at least, we experienced a national storm when a man with a knee to his neck died. It triggered pain, hurt, broken trust, protests, riots, and battle lines were drawn. The police were under scrutiny because a murderer among them was charged and ultimately convicted of just that, murder. But it amplified a long history of conflict and broken trust between minorities and the powers that be. It amplified terror for Black men, young and old, and the greater BIPOC community. Black Lives Matter became a brand for many corporate entities, often missing the point that Black Lives Matter was a battle cry for people echoing much of what Katie talked with us about last week. Hey, we're here. See us. Please don't kill us. And meanwhile, 
Cops Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter campaigns started firing off, further grinding salt into the wounds that, yes, while all lives matter, they certainly do. The point is, that includes Black lives, too. And the messaging, though it can get twisted and turned in endless ways, at least from my vantage point, was really just trying to say, include the Black community, too. Value the Black community, too. Treat the Black community equitably. Can we just please say that? Can we just recognize that when travesties like this have happened, and did happen, and continue to happen, we need to know we, as people, we matter too. And y'all, I may be barely skimming the surface of all the feels, tear, grief, anger, confusion, disappointment, and more that this and experiences like these have brought up for our friends, family, and neighbors of color. I'm a white woman, and I know that I can check my privilege because it's here. I know it's here. And while I'm not ashamed of being white, it's who I am. It's also important for me to understand the intersection points that our history, that the, the way we love one another, or lack thereof, what that brings up. Now, I know I've said many buzzwords here that can turn some folks off right away. And those same buzzwords might fire others up. Some people will make an immediate judgment about me or this podcast or this community because I used words like intersectionality, the pandemic. I talked about COVID, George Floyd, privilege, Black Lives Matters, inequity. Some of those judgments will be connecting and positive. Right on. We're with you. Some of those judgments will be polarizing, and I might lose a few listeners here. I get it. It's hard to have these types of conversations. And often, we don't have them because it's hard. And we pay the price. We risk offending people, pissing people off, infuriating people, rallying people, exciting people, encouraging people. We risk all the things. And ultimately, I think most of us likely fear being rejected, being canceled, or being put on a pedestal or knocked off another one. Because why? Because we showed up for the conversation? Because we didn't all agree? Because there's a lot of pain, and some of it is still very, very raw and tender. And some of that pain has calloused over, and it's tough, and it's fighting. If anything, we have different dare I say, appraisals of meaning for these experiences. Much like there's a lot of meaning attributed within OCD. But here's what I'm doing. I'm daring to move into this vulnerable space. I'm daring to utter these words that some people will just shut this down because I use them. And I'm inviting you to join me in it. Because in the heart of this pain and tragedy and conflict and messiness, it's also beauty and creativity and hope and promise because you're here and I'm here and we are better together. So I'll just preface this conversation by saying, please, please risk vulnerability and hear me, hear us, hear the OCD family, because what I'm learning time and again is though we are diverse, each one of us different, there's unity in us coming together, not being alone, and fighting this common enemy in OCD. 
So agree or disagree with me. I'm here for it. I'm here for you. Let's talk. And again, I've said this before, and I get that with certain words, it's hard to separate it from the politics, but this is not a political stance. This is not a political argument. This is a humanity conversation. I care for people. I care for black people and white people, different gender people, different colors, a kaleidoscope of colors, some might say. I care for people irregardless of their sexual orientation, religion, non-religion, neurotypes. I care for cops and service folks that risk their lives for mine. I care for you. I care for me. And because I care, because I care, anytime anyone is murdered, anytime anyone is lost too soon, anytime anyone experiences trauma, or maybe even pays the ultimate price at the hands of injustice, that hurts me too. I grieve too. I get angry too. I cry too. And I try to do what I can to create a space to validate those feelings for others too. So that's what I'm doing here. It's not about politics. It's about you and me and us figuring out this world. And today's talk, interestingly, as much as it may sound that way, just how this intro is going, today's talk isn't all about George Floyd or the history of racism or any one thing in particular. But I bring it up because this is the world and this is the context from which we are coming into this conversation today. It's a part of our history, and it's our reality, and it's what continues to shape present-day experiences, biases, discrimination, fear, hope, change, promise. So I just wanted to lay that foundation because today we are going to be chatting with my very special guest, and I want to honor the heart of the matter, the foundation or foundations from which we approach these conversations. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a quick introduction to these lovely ladies that I just had the best time chatting with today. And y'all, we got so chit-chatty right off the bat, and it was so good. And I was like, wait a minute, I haven't even said my hello yet. <laughs> and I'm afraid I miss saying that. But I want you to know more about Erin and Bianca. Erin Nee is a licensed clinical social worker and an OCD specialist in the Atlanta metropolitan area, where she is the clinical director and owner of OCD Set Free, an interactive mental health facility that supports individuals living with OCD and related disorders. Her OCD advocacy and global health interests have resulted in Erin's participation in the International OCD Foundation's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Action Council and an invitation to serve as faculty for the Foundation's Behavioral Therapy Training Institute. Erin is also one of the co-founders of ERP Kaleidoscope, a networking membership association for BIPOC individuals living with OCD and BIPOC therapists who treat and are interested in learning how to treat OCD and OCD spectrum disorders. Erin connected with Bianca and the synergenic excitement of providing advocacy, learning, networking, and healing support for both BIPOC OCD sufferers and BIPOC OCD specialists birthed ERP Kaleidoscope. 
Bianca Simmons is a licensed professional counselor and an OCD specialist, as well as owner of Bianca Simmons LLC, a mental health private practice that supports individuals living with OCD, other anxiety-related disorders such as phobias, BFRBs, panic disorder, and trauma in Texas. One of the main goals Bianca has had since becoming a therapist is to provide mental health education, access, and resources to individuals from underrepresented minority populations. So when she entered into the OCD treatment territory, she quickly noticed who wasn't there. Minority clients needing help. So I am so excited to have both Erin and Bianca here. Like any good family gathering, sometimes we, we come in at the hello, hello, hello. Here you came in and we were in a conversation. But believe you me, we want you to join us. So come on in and let's get up to speed because there is a lot to talk about. Wait, pause for this if you want. I'm going to press record. It's going to be good conversation. What am I doing? I need to press record. Okay. I was wondering. I, I was like, are we in the thick of it? Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Isn't that how you meet people? I'm like, hi, hello. Let's talk deep. Oh, my goodness. Nice to meet you, too. Therapist thing, though, right? Right. We go there. We go there. Oh, I Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. You guys are both ERP clinicians. And so how did you come about forming the ERP Kaleidoscope? Yeah. So we have a really interesting story. Bianca and I actually didn't know each other prior to starting ERP Kaleidoscope. Wow. So you you met in faith and you were like, okay, we're going to have to trust each other. Yeah. She actually slid into my DMs. I think that's the most funny part of the story for me. I love it. I appreciate it to this day. Yeah. Yeah. It was around the time, it was the middle of the pandemic when we first met or connected through Instagram. And it was in the middle of just everything going on in the country in terms of the social justice movement and George Floyd's death. And I don't know about you, Bianca, you know, I don't know that I've even asked you this, but like just right around that time, it seemed like therapists of color were being flooded with like, how do we trust this, you know, from corporations, right? Um, profit organizations, and even just individual therapist friends. And so it was overwhelming as a clinician of color for me. I, you know, I don't know about, I'm assuming for you, certainly. Yes, for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> for similar reasons. I can only imagine because it's, it, first of all, everybody was needing to sort through their own feelings about it. It was appalling. It was devastating. There was a lot to grieve. And then at the same point, now you have corporate going, hey, we care what you think. Right. Mm -hmm. And when it's convenient, we'll put that. Black Lives Matter and all of that. But you don't necessarily see the action unless Mm -hmm. it's in reaction, at least from my purview. And I could be wrong, but I see people step and be like, "Okay, now we're going to go and we're going to champion these voices. Now, what do you guys think? And I wonder if that felt like, so now you want to know because I'm black kind of thing. What did it feel like that? Did it feel like also you didn't have the space to process it? Because it must have been a lot. What was that like for you guys in terms of trying to hold space for yourself and being overwhelmed by, tell me what you think now? I think for me, it was more so 
that I was still processing and wasn't able to speak what I wanted to say because of kind of what you were alluding to. I needed to figure out how I felt and what I was going to do to take care of myself. And I don't think that, and I don't even think I knew it at the time, but I don't think I had the mental space to be able to share any opinions on the, the subject at that time, other than the obvious that it was a horrible thing. Right. And affected a lot of people in a really right. negative way. It was an active trauma. It was an active aggression, hate crime, and trying to, okay, what should we do to support people? It's like, I need to be able to support myself first. Can't, yeah. I won't have the bandwidth to do that. That makes total sense. How about for you, Erin? Was it a similar kind of experience? Yeah, and 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 I just want to like take a step back and just say that I'm just really grateful that you're even willing to have this conversation because and even just your platform in general because you're speaking to individuals that have OCD but you're also you're also speaking to their family members mm-hmm. and I feel like today we're going to be even speaking to providers about such important topics and so when I initially found out about your platform, I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. OCD Family Podcast. (laughs) Like, I I love that we're addressing what it means to be a family. Like, I love that it, that you're addressing how families can support one another. And so in the context of this conversation, in terms of everything that happened during the social justice movement, it just felt like, okay, we're a part of this OCD family. We're a part of this community. And so what does it mean to be a family, right? Mm-hmm. It, what does it mean to be a healthy family? Because that's we got a good idea on dysfunction. I like that. Yeah, right. So what do what what do healthy families do? They attune to each other's needs. They pursue healing or repair. Hurt happens. Healthy families encourage communication. Healthy families allow for close connection. Through that communication, right? Healthy families build each other up. And then there's this sense of unity, right? And so in the middle of the social justice movement and the pandemic, which was already enough, it was already too much, it felt really overwhelming, as Bianca shared, to be bombarded because we were trying to grieve being in the middle of the pandemic away from our actual families, right? And trying to take care of our own mental and emotional well-being. And then... For me personally, I serve on some councils in our community. And obviously, I love the work that I do and I want to support our community. But what I felt was, okay, everybody's reaching out to me and they're scrambling for me to help them come up with a response for the people in the world that are hurting over these injustices. Felt It felt weird (laughs) because if my family member was in the middle of the street with a knee in his neck and he was hurting and he was screaming for his mom, like I would just I I feel like I would know what to say. Or if if my aunt came to me and, and that was her son, I would say, I'm so sorry that this happened. I would automatically know what to say. And it felt there felt like a it, it felt like a big disconnect yeah. um, because we are treatment providers and and we had treatment providers flocking to us, right? And so it was like, I want you to create your own response. I'm ha- I'm happy to help you yeah. create a response. I'm happy to tweak it, 
but I'm a person of color and I'm supporting your initiatives or I am your therapist friend, right? And, and I, I'm I'm happy to help you speak to your clients, mm-hmm. happy to help you with speaking to this large body or audience that you want to reach in the OCD community. But let's like let let's start off with you doing the work yourself emotionally. Yeah. And say like what you authentically would say if your family member were dying in the middle of the street. And so that was really hard. And then to like walk around my neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. one of the few people of color in my neighborhood and just see all these Black Lives Matter signs. And you're like, when, does it? When, when have you said hello? When have you? Right. Like you've never spoken to me. But right you're, on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, even now I, it, it feels fresh. Like it, it's it's still hurtful. Yeah. And that I mean, it makes sense because what we know as therapists, if we're going to go through a trauma and then we're bombarded and we're just kind of taking care of other people and not having a chance to take care of ourselves, then by the time we kind of settle down and anybody listening with the loved ones with OCD, whether you have experience with trauma or not, you know, like when your mind's quiet, when you're not being distracted, then you start to feel all the feels. And so it makes a lot of sense that there would be some continued grieving, not only on the fact that any trauma you're always going to be dealing with in some capacity, it doesn't just go away because time passed, but additionally, you didn't have the space or the margin to really feel it all. And so, mm. and sadly, there continue to be anywhere from microaggressions to hate crimes that happen. And that just adds, it accumulates and it snowballs until it's like an avalanche. And just because we're therapists doesn't mean we're not people. I mean, we're very much people. We're very in tune with feelings. We're big fans of those. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think like people get so caught up in being politically correct or wanting to have the optics to appear on the right side of things. But it doesn't take, you're not going to be politically incorrect if you're just practicing kindness and empathy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so to your point, just trying to discern or just like, yeah, just trying to discern, is this performative? Right. Like, like, am I a problem? Uh, yes. I said it. And, you know, but still knowing that m- my voice is important and all of our voices are important. And so, you know, just knowing that there's so few clinicians of color in this ERP OCD treatment community. It's like, well, I still have to, like, my ancestors went through a lot worse than this, so I have a responsibility. You know, it is it is hard because when we go, okay, who suffers from OCD? Everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't discriminate, right? And yet, when we look at treatment population, when we look at the research history, when we look at those different aspects, we go, Oh, that looks pretty homogeneous, right? Like, we're not necessarily reflecting how colorful, how neurodivergent, how different sexualities, how different religiousness, like, we're not reflecting all of us. And so if we're talking about family, and I do quite a bit here, (laughs) but if we're talking about family, it doesn't mean we're never going to have conflict and it doesn't mean we're not going to hurt each other, right? But we're going to be like family, right? 
And so you can say stuff to your family that you probably would never say that to anybody else, right? You can have that rawness and have some hard conversations and they need to happen because to be inclusive, to not just be fake and pretending there at the surface, we have to be able to deal with the stuff that comes in. And we know that in a healthy family, because there's plenty of dysfunctional families that will cut off and they will isolate. But even putting this in the grander context in terms of the amount of pull, I'm sure it was so draining and still like needing to take care of yourself, which is so, so important. We have to remember, too, when this incident happened in relationship to pretty close to the beginning of the pandemic and that there was still a lockdown going on and people were already isolated. They did not have the support they usually have. So even if we're talking about nuclear families, like I didn't see my parents hardly at all. My dad was super high risk. Oh, my mom was high risk, too. But my dad is a cancer survivor. He's got no immune system. It was like, hey, I don't get to see you at all. But that means maybe you'll get to live for me to see you again. Yeah. So we're not even with our family. And then there is all this pull which I think as a treatment community, I'm sure for you guys, even before the incident happened, and it's not like there's been one incident that can Mm -hmm. add and and pile into this, but already anxiety was up, depression was up, people are losing their jobs, suicide is up. We have more abuse happening, less eyes on people to be able to report abuse, especially when we think of children or dependent Mm -hmm. adults. And so already the demand went, right? for us. And then George Floyd absolutely impacted all of us. And Mm -hmm. I have a multicultural family. My sister-in-law's Black, my niece and nephew are mixed, my brother-in-law's Indian, my niece and nephew over there are mixed. And it's like, we're, we're, uh, I don't even think of it that way. And that's my privilege. I get that until I have an event like this and I go, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's not just a black man died. It was a man died. And now can we see it for more than just, and, and it's important to honor that he yeah. was black, but, and, and black men, the fear that they have to deal with on the daily, that isn't the same for everyone, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, we also have to go, but he's just a man. We're all people. We need to, like you said, it, it feels like common sense, right? I am so sorry. And I'm so outraged and I am Mm -hmm. so appalled, right? Mm -hmm. And you can say that without necessarily putting on a Black Lives Matter post, especially like if you do it in every other post, every other comment does not Mm -hmm. match the action of you showing that all lives matter, Black, any color, right? Then it's kind of, it just feels disingenuous of like, yeah, sure. Okay, thanks. And, and you'll be here for a minute. You would love to lean into me because for optics, that looks really good. See, see how we love the black people. And I can only imagine I'm just speaking from my experience of it on this side. And so if I'm missing it or if you're like, OK, hang on, though, <laughs> I can speak here. Please, please, you know, feel free. But yeah, I can only imagine is, I guess, my very verbose way of saying that. <laughs> Well, and I I think to answer your question, that's basically PAL ERP kaleidoscope formed, right? Because Bianca and I realized that there were these parallels between clinicians of color Mm -hmm. and OCD sufferers of color. Mm -hmm. And we want to be a part of the greater OCD community, but we also realized that there were more resources 
and that were needed. And we wanted to support clinicians of color and OCD sufferers of color and those living with OCD spectrum disorders. And so that's really how we came together to just figure out like, what can we do to do our part? Bianca, I don't know if there's other thoughts or, yeah, reflections. Yeah, I think I was going to say, I think you alluded to it earlier and just like, I think a part of what we want to do with ERP Kaleidoscope is just to explain to people like, hey, here's how you can approach us or here's what spaces, here's what is helpful in everyday life that helps us to be feel like more a part of this OCD community, this OCD family, such as some of the things you were mentioning, like research. There, There isn't a lot of research. So right. what is being done to include more people of color in this research? Are we going out to these communities? Are we giving them the education? Because probably in the beginning, a lot of people in these communities aren't going to want to speak to a lot of us because of the history of it all because of what's happening. Yes. So are we giving the education and letting them know, hey, this is what we're doing to be able to include communities like yours in this research to then be able to provide the most effective treatment? Are we specifically, like we know that a lot of insurance and healthcare and stuff that that has failed a lot of people in regards to mental health. So are we providing those options for Maybe people in communities that we know aren't going to be able to make this a priority in their resource list. Just little things like that in our everyday life that doesn't need to necessarily be reserved for when some big tragedy happens throughout the world. I mean, not to get nerdy birdie on the fam here, (laughs) but... And not that I remember these things perfectly clear because it's either high school psych or college psych, which is like over half a lifetime ago. But when we look at, say, like Erickson's model of development, right, the very first stage, I think, and if not, somebody could correct me on it, is trust. <laughs> trust versus mistrust. You cannot progress through, and it doesn't mean that you can't make any movement, but you can't progress through that development without that trust. And you highlighted a really important point there, Bianca, in saying, yeah, there is history. And so the trust isn't necessarily there. And maybe folks aren't going to want to hear from you. Okay, so this goes down to basic psych 101, not about how do we engage with communities of color, but how do we engage with each other? If trust has been broken, then you got to build some trust. You got to have a relationship that shows that you are safe to trust. And you also have to continually work on maintaining, earning trust, holding trust by the actions, by the words, by the life that you live. And so something that it, it sounds so simplistic, like what do we do about these big problems and the big chasms of divide? But it's like same with family, right? I love the parallels here because it's like, hey, if I don't trust someone in my family, then I'm not going to lean into them. I'm not going to call them. I'm going to maybe avoid them or maybe I'm going to talk about them. Some people might talk about the fam. Yeah, yeah. We know. Okay. We're therapists. We've heard it all. We have good job security here because families at the very least exist. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's about building relationship. When you hear about a family that has discord, that has separation in it, where it's completely broken, because 
my trust was broken. So the relationship is now fractured or now cut off because of the relationship. So it comes down to, like, how can we have a relationship, not as me, a white woman, to any other person, regardless of skin color, right? It's how do I relate to people? But we also have to have understanding. And I totally, again, I mean, it's a privilege to not have to wake up and worry about your son go into a convenience store and being murdered. Murdered. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I also think it's like, how can we relate as humans? But for many people of color, it's also, how can you see my color in yes. a celebration? Yes. Yes. Uh, like a benefit. See it as something that is valuable, something that can contribute to the work that you're doing. So I, I do think it's twofold there. Yes. Because I think so often we historically have heard, well, I don't see color or right. we don't have to talk about color, right? But as people of color, we do want to talk about it. Right. And we feel so comfortable talking about it because it's something that we we have to we, like, we don't have a choice, right? But it's part of who you are. And I think the point that you're making there, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I agree 100% with that too. You're saying, this is also me. And we need right. to celebrate what also comes from that piece of identity. And so wanting to be seen as a whole person, I mean, that is really what this intersectionality series is all about. I was just talking with someone last week and they are autistic trans they have adhd and they said yeah i mean i don't like when people are like oh but you're super cool because you're autistic yes you are it's yeah. like hey i'm super cool <laughs> thanks because i'm super cool i'm also autistic but there is a lot of pride and identity that should be celebrated just like when we're like from a family and we can go in and they're like hey are you one of the morrises yes and i'm so proud of it we had, could you tell we have the matching t-shirts? No, we don't have the matching t-shirts, but we take pride <laughs> in that. That's my boy up there. That's my girl. Look at this. Oh, I'm so proud of mom. I'm so proud of dad. It's that simple where we got to also recognize that. I had a dear friend of mine on, gosh, it was probably the second or third. No, I think it was the second episode of this series. And though she does not have OCD, she does a lot of advocacy work and turning advocacy into policy. And so when I was talking with her and she she's black and she said, hey, I mean, I want to see more color in the representation, in the research. But part of how you do that is you got to go talk to people of color and people are so afraid of segregating now. And she's like, actually, if you want to build relationship with part of the family, then you got to build relationship. And it's OK to have a meeting where everybody looks like you and has experienced on some degree some of the microaggressions that you've experienced, some of the prejudice, some of the biases that you've encountered. Doesn't mean that everyone's the same, but there's also like a lot to celebrate. There's a lot more than some of the biases you've experienced. We want to be seen for like all the value that we bring. And I don't think my value equals I'm an oppressed person we need to honor that that's the that there is a multi-generational history of oppression but also we need to honor like well, you're amazing too and not just because your skin color but also including mm -hmm. inclusive of your skin color 
Yeah, one of the things that we are focused on through ERP Kaleidoscope is just uplifting the voices of clinicians of color. So how do we support clinicians of color in becoming the thought leaders in the OCD community as well, right? And so oftentimes when clinicians of color are sought after in terms of giving talks or, you know, presentations or whatever, it's like, can you come and speak about being a person of color? And it's like, no, like, I mean, I can. You're like, I mean, I am a person of color, but I can speak to so many things. That's not what qualifies me, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and, And so there are so many amazing clinicians of color that are doing this work in our community right now as OCD and OC spectrum disorder specialists, right? And so I I think that kind of speaks to what you're essentially saying. It's like, utilize me for all of my knowledge. See me for all of who I am. Yeah. Don't leave out the color of my skin, but don't equate my value to the color of my skin. Yeah. I mean, it feels like common sense and yet it feels like we're so far. And, you know, it's why one of the reasons. So when I when I could guess and I'm so glad that we connected over Instagram and we're able to make this work. And I'm so I'm so pleased. But what's interesting is usually I will have a little bit of an email back and forth about what we'll talk about or whatnot. And I had some ideas, but I really, too, wanted to lean into what do you want to say? Not because your clinicians are color, but because you have an ability as a so do I and so have the other guests to speak to the intersection that we're experiencing, not only within ourselves, but within our client community that we're treating, as well as our fellow practitioners. And I think it's really, really important because we certainly do get a number of practitioners that listen to the podcast, which I'm very grateful for. Some have lived experience. I will admit I have a lived experience of OCD as well, which took me a minute to figure out. I was an OCD specialist for a while before I'm like, wait a minute, this anxiety has a little more to it than I, uh, than I was recognizing. But yeah, I mean, it is so important for us to be able to have some of these conversations. And the conversations aren't happening a lot. They just, they aren't. And maybe it's happening more. Maybe it's just my anecdotal observation, but I don't know, like, you guys found each other on Instagram and created this awareness page. So everybody there on Instagram, ERP Kaleidoscope. And I love the work that you're doing there. But it's like, yeah, could you reach out to a colleague in Houston? Could you reach out to a colleague in Atlanta and be like, hey, maybe I know what your area is like. I know there's certainly a big treatment center in Houston. But here in Indiana, hi, in northern Indiana. Hey, everybody. Here I am. Just me. And so I have to work really hard to find people to connect with. And that's just other specialists, period. Now, if we start looking at some of these intersection points where it's like, but no, we need everyone because we treat everyone and everyone deserves an opportunity to fight the common enemy we have amongst all of us in this Family, it's OCD. Certainly there are more things. We were talking about the social justice or the injustice, rather. But it's like, we're all better together. So why aren't we all here? And if we're noticing, like, if you're at a family gathering and you're like, where's my auntie? And she's not here. Where, auntie, where are you? Text. When are you coming? 
Like, where are you? Right? I know I do it. We have a particular group in our family that tends to run uh, on their own time. But we're like, hey, we're going to eat. You come in. Should we get started? That's what we do. Are we checking in on each other? Are we going, hey, wait a minute. Not This can't be everybody. Because look around. It's like, who's, who's here? Same kind of players. Same kind of players. But, but that's not the whole family. Yeah. And it's, it's been the same kind of players <laughs> since 1986. You know, there have been a thousand therapists, more than a thousand therapists that have been trained in exposure and response prevention. Look at the demographics, about 1,174 white therapists that have been trained in ERP. Mm-hmm. There are two American Indian or Native ERP therapists. Mm-hmm. There's one Asian ERP therapist. There's 15 Black or African American therapists that are trained in ERP. Now, this is just from the stats right. through the CD Foundation, right? Obviously, there are likely more who mm-hmm. didn't go to the foundation, right? But in terms of Hispanic therapists, there's 78 that have gone through this training through the, the, the Greater Foundation, 10 Middle Eastern, according to the foundation, right? And so it's like, how do we increase those numbers? They're... Like, we can't just have 78 Hispanic or Latinx therapists servicing all of the Latinx population of OCD sufferers, or we can't, or or for the other races, right? Like, right. Bianca and I, Bianca, what did you say when you first met me? I was going to say, yeah, that's a, one of the things that makes me so excited about this. I think I had only met one or two other Specialist, definitely no one outside of the state of Texas that works with and uses ERP to treat OCD. So when, as we were, as we're kind of just having conversations and Aaron is passing names along to me and I'm like, oh, these people treat OCD too? These people use ERP? This is really cool. Where are these people at? Mm -hmm. How come I don't know about these people? This is so exciting to meet people that are kind of very passionate about just doing some of this work specific in some of these communities as well. I would love to hear more from them and what they're doing and support their efforts. And that is one of the things that has excited me the most about ERP Kaleidoscope is making everyone's presence known because the community is so small. I think we're probably not the only people in this situation. Like before, like me, I only knew like two other people, but there are so many other people in this community that exists. So even Mm -hmm. just those introductions is pretty exciting for me. Yeah. Bring us all together, you know? Right. Well, one of the taglines that I say, but I mean as well, which is why I say I try to be somebody that's authentic in that way. And I try to remind this family, you are not alone. But, and especially coming out of the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, you are not Mm -hmm. alone means you, you, human being that matters in every way are -hmm. not alone and yet there's a lot of people and they're pretty lonely right and you know what's interesting too is the family has a way (laughs) i know uh, my family growing up and i know the family that i've created with my husband also has our own way of functioning but you get you get some family rules going right 
And you get kind of like, this is how things go in my house under my roof. This is how, like, you, when you're out there, do what you're going to do. This is the rule here. And each family, if we're even looking within communities of color, when we're looking into neurodivergent populations, when we're looking into all sorts of different intersections, we also see, like, everybody's coming from a family in one way or another, right? And how that family operates and understands mental health, too, I feel like is an emerging process, right? But particularly within communities of color, sometimes there is that trust, mistrust issue, right? So why would we build toward mental health if, if the response is going to be punitive for having mental health, which is what I think a lot of people experience? People fear the consequences, especially when we think of some of these OCD themes, right? Because it's like, you could have an OCD theme of what if I harm somebody? Well, if I say that, that's not going to be always taken the same way. There are plenty of people that are afraid to say that because they don't want their kids taken away. Now let's add on some of the history and the mistrust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Pardon my language, but why in the hell would you? Would mm -hmm. you? Is that even safe? Yeah, and that, I think that's why I, I too am so excited about the work that we're doing and just why I decided to specialize in OCD as a person of color, as a Black woman, because like even in the midst of the social justice movement and everything with George Floyd, like there was just a sense of relief when my clients of color walked through the door. And, it, and it, it just feels so like it feels so good that I can create that safety for them because they don't have to explain like we're starting off on the same playing field and they don't have to be afraid that yeah. like you said, that they're going to get locked up, that they're going to be judged, that they're going to be perceived as the angry black man or black woman because they have harm OCD thought. And, and, and so, yeah, like, it's just, I mean, it just speaks to why we just all have a responsibility, no matter what our ethnic backgrounds are, we all have a responsibility to do the work to increase the number of clinicians of color there are in our community, because we need to create safety and support for, you know, OCD sufferers, but we also need to give clinicians of color opportunities, right? Yeah. Like we're just not getting access to be able to do the research and we don't get access to the funding and we don't get access to the platforms to share our voices. And so, yeah, so it's really important. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really important. You know, we have conversations in other kind of areas when we're thinking of, for example, there's the Faith and OCD conference that IOCDF puts out, right? And I love that because it allows people to experience their faith if they are faith believers instead of experiencing mental health disguised as faith. But one of the really important things that they touch on in there is you don't have to be the priest. You don't have to be the pastor. In fact, that's great if you're not because you're supposed to be the therapist and this is a mental health issue, not a faith issue. But know, know your lane and collaborate mm -hmm. with, work with, communicate with, of course, with consent of your client, with 
their religion or their their moral, because of course scrupulosity can be of a moral basis as well, but work with them, okay? And so I know certainly throughout George Floyd time as well and and beyond, I mean, I'm very white, it's clear, I'm white, and I live in a very white area of the country. But most of my professional life was in L.A., where I was one of a few white. I was much, there was much less white. There was a lovely kaleidoscope, as you guys say, a kaleidoscope of color. And that's people. That's people. And I didn't think of it that way until you get back in the Midwest and you're like, mm, this is very white, right? Not to say that white people are bad and not to say that if we don't have more diversity in certain regions, certain regions are going to be populated by different ethnicities, but also recognizing that lack of diversity keeps us apart instead of drawing relationships closer. So something that was interesting about living in L.A. was there's lots of different areas and zones where a lot of different cultural groups will just kind of cluster. And it's a wonderful melting pot, and yet it's kind of segregated. And it's interesting because as we're talking about, there's benefit to both. There's benefit to seeing everybody, but not just also kind of pulling down and going, hey, I'm not going to, I'm just going to stay with my crew here. But at the same time, it is important to recognize the unity that we have in being able to say, hey, I don't have to explain to this client and go, I'm going to have to work at trust building first because I can sigh in relief and we get each other on a level. And again, not saying we're the same person, not at all. But we don't have to justify just existing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that some of kind of what you were mentioning, the community that sometimes people have to fall back on, sometimes these BIPOC individuals with OCD, they don't have that with their OCD. Like they've never met another individual of color that has OCD and so very similar to kind of the clinician perspective. And so I think that that within itself causes some hopelessness in them because they've like, I've never, I've never met anyone like me. I've never heard of anyone like me. I don't see anyone like me on the clinical side of things. So like, am I, they, to me, it, it, it comes out as like, am I the sort of anomaly? And I will go to the grave saying, no, you are not. There are people like you out there and we just have to get you to be able to see them or be able to hear them. And I feel some comfort knowing like in the back of my head that I am doing everything I can in order to make that a reality for my client so that they have more hope and which affects their treatment in the long run. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful point. At the same time, and, and while it's a, a sacred ability to contribute to the betterment, it takes a lot out of a person to constantly be like, I, I got to do this. I got to do this. Because you're one person and you get drained and you get tired and you experience your own life. And then you experience things even on a national or an international scale that also are traumatic. And then it's like, but I'm the one voice that I can kind of put out there. I can't find other people around here doing this. Like that, that's hard. It's not the exact same, but what I will say is being one of the very few OCD therapists in the state, mm -hmm. I get a lot of pressure, especially in my region, to take as many cases as I can. I am yeah. so glad that I'm the age I am now, because when I was a younger clinician, I would have been like, and I have to, because if I don't do it, who's going to, right? But now mm -hmm. I'm able to at least go, 
Yes, I'm the only OCD therapist, but I'm also the only mother to my children. I better be the only wife to my husband. Uh, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm only, I, there's only one me. And I, I'm making a difference. But part of how I make a difference, too, is I'm championing the folks around me in my field going, hey, want to learn how to fish? Because I can't fish for us all. Right? And so really being able to branch out. And that takes some of the load off of, Nicole, you got to do it all. You got to do it all, right? And so that's what you guys are doing, too, through the advocacy and meeting up together, doing ERP Kaleidoscope on Instagram. You're going, yeah, I'm proud to be a part of it. And hey, we, that's more than just me, we, we, (laughs) we can do this and empowering other people to step up and go, okay, yeah, maybe I want to learn more about OCD. Maybe I want to look into this more. It's a lot more prevalent than people realize. Like it's diagnosed as some other crap. And again, there are a lot of things that people won't say because they're afraid. It's scary. Mm-hmm. These are, what? what is it? It's an intrusive thought. Yeah, it's so intrusive. What are the consequences of this going to be? I'm so distressed. There's a reason for that, right? And so we're we're out ready to get some fishermen here and women to come in and and help join the cause. But again, I think we have to look at, have we built trust with each other? Do Mm -hmm. we feel included? And you guys were just saying like, yeah, there is a handful, a handful at that of Mm -hmm. other people sitting here doing the work. And so how, how can we be more of a family that's united instead of being like, oh, we're kind of the the odd ones out here on the fringe, but I'm glad I get to make a difference. And I'm not trying to make light of that, but I just, I have to imagine that there's a feeling like that in there. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, just in terms of the work that we're doing, yeah, we do have our Instagram page, but, you know, we're also really excited about just everything that is in store for ERP Kaleidoscope's future in terms of that fishing analogy that you just used, right? Mm-hmm. So we are working to support individuals that want to be ERP specialists in providing continuing education. We are providing a platform. We're really excited about our website that is underway and soon to be completed by the middle of March. And we have these resources and education through our platform, and we will be having events to support clinicians and OCD sufferers. And so there is this Instagram page, but we see it more in terms of just an all-encompassing resource. Yeah. So you're, to your point, doing all that we can to increase the numbers at a greater speed so that it, like those numbers can increase in this work we can reduce that 14 to 17 year average that you already know it takes to get an accurate diagnosis and treatment for OCD. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And part of me, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know if this is cynical or not, but I'm like, why is an IOCD sponsoring, right? Like, not that I work for IOCDF and, and choose it, but it's like, we've got these little sub kind of virtual conferences. There's one for hoarding coming up. We have the Faith in OCD conference. I was talking last year with a guest who's trying to work 
on getting like BDD represented more in a conference of its own. BFRBs, the TLC Foundation does great work with BFRBs. And so they're already kind of doing the thing. And I have no doubt you ladies certainly can do it. But also it's like, but again, wouldn't it feel more inclusive if there was even some communication going, hey, yeah, we really need to improve and we're not just saying that. So how can we do this? I know that there are researchers that are on the scientific advisory board, whatnot, trying to branch out and expand research, especially there's a big initiative for the Latino population right now. But similar thing, why would we trust you? Do we even know what OCD is? Or is it like we've maybe experienced it in our family, but we have a different understanding for what that is because we need to have a different kind of way of understanding this. And I'm not going to understand it if I don't have a relationship with you. Yeah, I mean, and I think the foundation is trying. So I am on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council for the International OCD Foundation. And, you know, through them, you know, through through my work with them, they they are definitely trying. There's obviously ongoing work that needs to be done, and not everybody does it perfectly. No no foundation, no organization, sure, or nonprofit is going to do it perfectly. But they are trying, right? One of the committees that I'm a part of, they we were responsible for increasing the number of clinicians of color, and so we came up with a diversity scholarship so that clinicians of color could actually get in the door to do the behavioral therapy training institute offering that they have. And 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 so now they recently had the BTTI that was specific to BIPOC clinicians. Okay. And I was a member for that as well. And so, you know, they are trying and have their funding that they are going to make decisions around, right? And so I think it kind of goes to my point earlier. There's just more resources, everything. The foundation can't do everything. And the foundation doesn't have to do everything. And there are other... True methods that taken to support communities of color. And I just think Bianca and I, at the end of the day, we kind of felt like like we just have our responsibility and we want to go out and do this work. And we have some really exciting stuff, you know, that we were hoping to be able to share with yeah. you today. We can't quite share it yet. Oh. We can share it with you offline. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited for those nuggets and I can still advertise it for you. I can mention, do a shout out when it gets closer to national time, but I will look forward to that. Well, and you know, you okay. So thank you for, for, you know, pointing out because I think I was being a little bit cynical in that. And so I appreciate you giving me that feedback. And also a very important word that you used was our, right? So it's not one it's not one foundation's job to fix it. It's not one person's job to fix it. It's not one ethnicity or race's job to fix it. It's our job to fix it. Family. It's family. It's this big, happy, dysfunctional family. And yes, and so everybody has a role in that. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you said that because I do think it's important to clarify. Like, it's easy to point fingers like I just did. I can admit it. I can admit it. Right. But at the same time, 
I, what's that phrase? I heard somebody say this a long time ago. When you point a finger at somebody, pointing back at you, you're pointing mm-hmm. three back at you. So, and, yeah. and you know, in religious speak, this might be like, let's maybe take the big plank out of my <laughs> eye before I start talking about your plank over there. Because the reality is we all got work to do. I am passionate about elevating this conversation and not just within a series. When we were trying to figure out times and bless your hearts and your clients for being flexible there. But it was like, yeah, even if we don't get it in this series, I'm happy to talk about it because this isn't a series to me. This isn't a let me put this on my banner when it's convenient for me. This is a this affects everybody. This affects my family, your family. So let's let's talk about this because we need to. And, and I'm not always going to get it right, but I'm glad I don't always have to get it right. Because like we said, you're not alone and you guys don't have to always get it right because you're not alone. But knowing like, yeah, I really like if I if I'm tired, if I need to take a day for myself, if I need to grieve, if I need to mourn, if I need to whatever, I know. I know that there's still work being done, and it doesn't mean we can't be responsible. Certainly, as somebody with a lived experience of OCD, I probably get hyper-responsible about things. I'm like, oh, must, right? And then I'm like, okay, wait, come back down. But it, there, it does mean that we need to take care of ourselves so that we can continue to have the bandwidth to be responsible. And knowing that we're not alone in that is so huge. So I, I think that's a really important point. So in terms of just thinking about how can we help with unifying through diversity, which is my whole thing here, and expanding the OCD treatment family, as well as then how we can engage more authentically in building trust in a community. And it's hard in the day and age of social media because everything it's the loud voices. People that are like, I'm doing kind of all right today are rarely the people that are getting retweeted or shared. You know, it's to these extremes. And so even if it's not always as polarized, it feels polarized because we can read people's thoughts before they even think about their thoughts and they posted it. Right. So how do we do this work in terms of helping expand the what feels like the boundaries here and help people know no you're family you belong you're here what do you guys think in terms of creating that that reach and building more trust with with all family members so i think that this goes back to when you were speaking about our and we and all of us lifting each other up and so i think aaron and i saw a need in the community. And so we're trying to fulfill that. And hopefully that inspires hope in other small pockets of our community to speak up and do the same. And I think as clinicians, as professionals, when we're looking to get information, when we're looking to continue education, right? Like, what are we looking for specifically? Like, how are we kind of like you said, like, when someone, when a family member isn't there, we're calling them and be like, hey, where are you? Like, mm-hmm. just checking in. Mm-hmm. And so, like, now that kind of we're making ourselves known, like, I think if if people are genuinely interested in continuing to have conversation, like, we're here yeah. and we're happy to have it. And so just, like, having those conversations just with colleagues 
to kind of see. And if they maybe if they don't have the answers, then referring them to those few places where right now where we know we can get them like the education that we're providing with EAP Kaleidoscope until there is more. Or like I think a lot of people when we have conversations about how to move forward, I think it that what we were saying earlier is it just stops. So like what is the actual plan gonna be moving forward, creating these plans and sharing those with others. So like we've shared our plan with you, what we plan to do, what the spaces that we plan to create and that we have for BIPOC community and the OCD community specifically. Are there anything that you can do with, because we understand that everyone's involvement is going to look a little bit different, right? Everyone can't do the same thing, but right. identifying, I think, what it is that you are capable to do. And I don't know that I can answer what that could be for e- each of those specific populations. Totally fair. Totally fair. Yeah. And and I, I mean, I do feel like there are some basic things. Uh, you know, that we can all do, right? Is you earlier pull about it not just being kind of taking a step back and reflecting, okay, it's not just foundation, right? The, the, the greater foundation, but like what, what does each clinic need to do? What does each partial hospitalization program need to do? Mm-hmm. What does each residential program need to do? What do private practice clinical directors and owners need to do? Right. Do we need to look at our hiring practices? Are we bringing in interns of color? Have we done our own emotional work? Have we gotten training in diversity, equity and inclusion topics? Are we continuously getting continuing education on humility and cultural competency? Though I know that word isn't necessarily as favored these days, cultural competency. Right. But mm-hmm. like, are we doing this work on an ongoing basis? Mm-hmm. Are we actually taking a step back and 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 are we saying you know what my voice like they've heard my voice since the 80s they've heard my voice since the 90s let me actually invite this person to the barbecue or the picnic or the movie or whatever yes. it is right? yes like how can i reach out to this clinician of color and not just say hey you guys apply if you're interested but let me show you that you're important. And I'm really curious about your specific work and your initiatives. And I actually want to invite you into my space. Would you be willing to like come and speak to this community about your work? Right. Would you be willing to be the thought leader here? I've, I've had this one person leading these trainings for 20 years. <laughs> mm. So would you be willing to take this on? So I think there's so many things that can be done on a small and grand scale in order to engage authentically. You know, I think the biggest piece is, right, doing your own emotional work first as practitioner Mm -hmm. or, you know, or an executive director or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And to see like, okay, am I really doing the work here? Or am I just saying I'm doing the work? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and you see how everyone can have such a giant ripple effect. I mean, one of the reasons I created this community, especially here in the Midwest, and especially coming out of the pandemic, people suffering may or may not have been able to access care, let alone the family members. But we know OCD impacts the entire family. And so I thought, like, what can I do to support family members that can't necessarily go get treatment? And this isn't treatment. I say it at the top of the show, but it's always worth reminding people. We're having some conversations, not treatment. 
But what I what I do know is like sometimes it's the support people in your life that are keeping you afloat when you think like I can't do it. And so you might go, well, I'm not the executive director. I'm not this. Maybe I'm just a secretary. Maybe I'm just somebody that kind of gives my nephew a ride back and forth. It couldn't happen without you. We all have a role. We all have a role. You don't have to be an executive director to make a difference. And sometimes you can be an executive director and not make it. And so realizing that even if it feels inconsequential, your family, you're not inconsequential to them. And your role in being an advocate for your family, for your loved one, for yourself, that's really important. I love what you said, too, about recognizing it made me, th I think, in analogies, and I tend to think in family analogies when I'm talking with the fam here. But I was thinking about it. It's kind of like, yeah, if I go to a potluck and I'm like, I brought cornbread, right? And people are like, this is great cornbread. Thanks. Usually my brother will bring the cornbread, but he brought cornbread this time. And they're like, you know what? What's your recipe? Because I really like this recipe over here, but this was good. And I've never had cornbread at our gathering here quite this way. A, not only do I feel special, like, they really like my cornbread, even though we got good cornbread here. But especially when we're thinking about ERP, that can be done in so many different ways. Being able to go, hey, how are you doing this? And tell me about your experience. And again, not just because you're fitting a checkbox here, but also embracing like, hey, you got a different recipe. And though it's all cornbread at the end of the day, we can benefit and we might even morph something beautiful out of just going with your recipe or joining these two recipes. I never even thought of doing this. And oh, my gosh. And now we've got even better cornbread. It's like, yes. We can use that. We will always be able to use that in our continuing education for ERP and for the treatment of OCD. And so it's important to go, like, even if you've got a really good recipe, I think we're well aware of the recipe. Been to the training every year, got a couple of yearbooks, got whatever. And it's not that, you know, thank you. These are huge impacts. And this has provided food and sustenance for the family. But also, there's some great recipes out there. Or sometimes we make cornbread and it turns out crappy. And our family keeps it real. They're like, that didn't go well. <laughs> it was not edible. And you want family to tell you the truth. Yes, <laughs> you do. Because you're like, I don't want to take this to the next, like, carry in at work. And you're like, my family loves it. And they're like, your family's liars. <laughs> your family does not tell you what's up. And that's like, that is like big red flag. Because we know family is going to tell you what's up, whether you want it or not. You might be like, stop telling me what's up. And they're like, but I'm going to tell you because <laughs> I'm your family. And. I'm just going to bulldoze right in there with what's up. So, but I mean, it's important for us to be able to have those conversations. And so I think that's a fantastic point as well. Like we can share some different recipes and say, hey, and we were talking about like the text, like where are you? I don't see you here. But also like if you're anything like me, then I'm like, I'm going to be two minutes late, which is pretty much on time. But I'm like, oh, I'm going to be late. <laughs> then I will text and be like, hey, I'm coming. Just so you know, too, like I also initiate that from my side, too. OK, the family's together. They might be wondering where I am or even if they have an S, I'll let you know. I'll be there in two. <laughs> right. And so, again, it's communication. And one of the things that I've just realized over the course of all these different talks when we've been highlighting intersectionality is 
Yeah, communication is pretty key. We need to be able to talk to each other. Like in a family, if you don't talk, it doesn't go well generally, right? I think that, I yeah, I agree. And I think that that just makes me want to reiterate to you that how grateful I think we are for you to be willing to have this conversation and be willing to use your platform to begin to do the beginning steps of what that would look like, having those conversations in the different facets, I think specifically within the family, the OCD family, because I do think like a lot of information is put maybe for clinicians or for individuals suffering, but not as much with family. And so I feel like that kind of speaks to the overall message that we're, I think, speaking to with the whole conversation as well, including the family. And so thank, just thank you for allowing us to be able to share in this facet, because I definitely think all of these efforts are progress moving forward. I think we're all moving forward in ways and we're just figuring out how to make it happen faster, kind of keep up with society in a sense. Yeah. Well, and you're so welcome. And thank you guys for participating in it, too, because without you, I'd just be pointing at myself. Right. And plenty of people didn't ask my family, like, could she just sit there and talk to herself? Well, she could, but we'd probably end up tuning out because we're better together. And so I created this platform, but the only reason it can be a platform is because I have amazing people going, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have this conversation with you. And sometimes we have an, a guess of where to go. And sometimes we're like, well, that that kind of boomeranged around. Like we started just chit-chatting in the beginning. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, ladies, I can stop and press record. This is good. <laughs> yeah. The communication piece is so vital. And, and I think that is literally the first step, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to start talking somewhere. You have to be willing to have hard conversations. I do know that sometimes it can feel challenging to feel like you can truly be authentic just in terms of people of color. And will my voice be well-received? Will my message be well-received? Will my communication efforts just be a one-off, right? And, and, and so I think we're all, I think, First of all, you have created safety, just so you know, Nicole. Thank like you. from the very beginning, from your emails mm-hmm. and just kind of sharing your personal experiences. Talk about really hard thing. Mm-hmm. And like just with authenticity. And so so thank you for that. I, I just know that so many people just don't feel safe cross-culturally in terms of being able to communicate because there is this fear, how is this going to be received? Are they still going to want me to be part of the family if I tell the truth? Yeah. Right? So it can be scary to tell the truth, but we are all behaviorists on this call. Right. And and so it's like behaviorally, we have to do the things that we encourage our clients to do and also incorporate a little bit of act, right, in terms of moving towards and doing the things that are meaningful and mm-hmm. having a full life, right? And part of having a big full life as this unified community is that communication piece that you that you mentioned. And so I just think we all have to kind of keep talking. But we have to take those action steps, right? Mm-hmm. Funding, 
creating safety, mm-hmm. you know, in, in improving your hiring practices in terms of diversifying, right? We've got to take action. Sometimes those steps can't just be like tiny baby steps when it feels comfortable. Like sometimes you need to take a giant leap into the discomfort because that's, again, what we teach our clients about it's not just doing like the tiny the easiest exposure right, right. we're mm-hmm. not starting out a one out of ten <laughs> that's my great yeah. yeah yeah well and that's the funny thing i was just thinking about like oh my gosh in terms of a fear hierarchy like we gotta practice what we preach right we gotta whether we might get it right or wrong, I say stuff all the time. And I appreciate the willingness of people to, like, help go, okay, but, like, when I'm like, why is an IOCDF doing it? You're like, well, they are. And I'm like, you're right. I was, that was me getting out of my lane there and, and starting to point fingers, which generally doesn't solve problems to just point fingers, right? But it's like, yeah, we have to be able to have these conversations and it's pretty huge and I just have to say thank you because it's it's sacred to know that I am helping create safety and that is ultimately my goal when we think about people tortured from this terrible disorder OCD there's already such a high appraisal on the meaning and the consequences of this really intrusive really distressing experience right you're in fight flight or freeze all the time Mm -hmm. and yes it's very very challenging but sometimes we do we want to kind of just take these little baby steps those safe steps those safe uh, behaviors those safe i don't know compulsions at times right we need to be able to go yeah it's not comfortable i might get some backlash because i don't even fully know what i'm saying because I'm still learning too. And I want to keep learning, but I might get it wrong while I'm learning. Okay. And I think too, there's just in thinking about that from a trust versus mistrust perspective, there's some real punitive consequences if you get it wrong, even if you thought you were trying to be supportive and helpful, right? And so I think people are afraid of backlash. People are afraid of having that conversation and part of that is yeah because sometimes those conversations happen and it ends up not being a conversation it ends up being you're done because i'm offended and you might say something offensive and not even realize it so in terms of like going okay then do we have the personal work done to be able to continue to go what are my biases that i didn't even realize am i participating in microaggressions and doing that work not because i went to a workshop where somebody that was a person of color talked about what a microaggression is, but because I actually evaluated for myself, and again, that ends up being a trigger word for a lot of people, but it's literally like, check yourself. Let's just put it in family terms. Check yourself. I know my husband and I said it to each other this morning, running out the door. Whoa, your tone. Whoa, your tone. Check yourself. You check yourself. Okay. We both need to check ourselves, And we're like, okay, yeah, we're both in the wrong. <laughs> right? And so there, but if there's not that feeling of safety, again, to be able to say that, and it's okay if I mess up, as long as I'm learning why, and not using other people as a prop to be like, oh, teach me that. Um, No, you teach yourself. I got a lot of work I'm doing over here. You feel free to do your work (laughs) and show your work, and then we'll be good, right? That's all we're trained to do is do our work, show our work. If we say we're about something, then show that we're about something. 
then it's not that you can't have a Black Lives Matter banner up on Facebook during a horrific tragedy. But if you're not showing how important Black Lives Matter, except in response to a tragedy, it's kind of like the gun violence when we see a school shooting. It's like, okay, there's a big huff up and then a couple weeks go by. That impacts people for the rest of their lives. It doesn't impact you in that same way because it didn't happen to you. And it's like, well, we got to remember showing our work is more than just, oh, I support this. Thanks. Yeah. Now back to my egg sandwich that I made this morning or whatever, you know. And I'm, again, probably sounding a little cynical. I will admit my bias. Sometimes I get cynical about it. And so, but I'm going to risk saying it and it might piss some people off. And, and I will be the first one to admit I've been wrong before. I could be wrong. I don't want to paint with broad strokes. OCD does love that. But, but I mean, there's always more learning to do. And so I think that's just a really good point in terms of how we can expand the family. One of the things I talked about in last week's episode, because I've been like, wow, it comes down to communication with the fam again, you guys. Wow. You know, and that's part of it. But I think also accountability. So like you said, there's parts of it. It's on us to do our part, but it's also part on the other to be like, hey, we're about to eat. Where are you? We're getting stuff ready. I noticed you're not here. And really that checking in on each other. So, hey. Are you guys a part of the OCD specialist group? Yeah. Okay. So it's like, hey, do you have access to this? Yes. How about ICBT? Now, this is a whole nother thing that I'm just randomly bringing up here, but not super randomly because it's also an evidence-based practice. Do you guys know much of, I know your ERP kaleidoscope, but do you guys know much about ICBT? Because I just recently started learning and I'm loving it. So I'm getting, I'm getting big nods from Aaron. Yeah. Cause I'm like, what do you guys think about ICBT? If you're okay with it, if you're like, no, I don't want to necessarily get into all that. That's fine. It's safe space. Yeah, I, you could say. I think it's, and, and Bianca, actually, I'll let you go first if you want to kind of jump in. Well, because my, my answer is probably going to be much shorter because I don't know as much about it yet. I have been hearing the buzz. I have been seeing the trainings. It has been something that I've been wanting to look into more and learn about more. Haven't had the time to do so yet, but I have heard good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and so I I'm excited about it. I have been attending some of the trainings through the ICBT Facebook group, and there's one coming up in March that I'm really excited about attending where they're going to have some smaller groups. Mm-hmm. Also, obviously, I have the manual or the handbook, and I've been kind of going through it. And that's, that a, that's a dense one. Yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, I, I think it's needed and I've been introducing it to some of my clients. I will say that I'm very well aware that it is controversial being new, especially when ERP has been around for so long, mm-hmm. right? And there's so much research to back it. And so it can feel scary as treatment professionals because it's like, wait, this is what I've been preaching for all these years. Is this thing... Is it accurate, right? Like, is it research-backed? Like, is this going to be yet another thing that somebody is saying is useful for treating OCD and these related disorders that isn't actually evidence-based, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fear is, I think it's a healthy fear, but I think our approach 
when there is something new that comes along, it can lack humility, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's all a part of just this this conversation that we've essentially been having. Yeah. Right? How do we approach difference? Diversifying. Mm -hmm. With humility. Mm -hmm. How do we approach new thoughts? How do we approach different cultures? How do we approach just just anything that's new with openness right and so that's where i am with icbt i'm just i'm just learning and you know i hope to be able to introduce it more and more to my clients as is appropriate right cuz every modality is not appropriate for every individual Right. Right. Very, very good point. Yeah. It's if it were a fix, then we wouldn't be hopefully we would get connected somehow. We could have a family chat, but it wouldn't be about OCD if it was just gone. (laughs) So if any modality was just working and bam, there we go, then it'd be gone. Right. We'd extinguish it. And I will say this, maybe two more things about it. Just as I've been observing it, Mm -hmm. I am seeing what unfortunately, and this is not a knock on anybody because I think the people that are doing the work around ICBT are amazing. They are so generous with their resources, but it is again, homogenous, mm-hmm. right? And so I've been thinking about like, mm, do I need to kind of reach out to them and kind of see, okay, like what are we doing to ensure that clinicians of color are getting access to learning this modality, right? Because clinicians of color already don't know ERP. Like, how do we include these clinicians in this conversation? How do we ensure that OCD sufferers of color actually get access to this modality? They're already not getting access to ERP, right? And, you know, I the last thing I'll say about it is that just for those, the clinicians with lived experience, it's been amazing to learn from them because a lot of them have taken this modality and run with it. And they're so, like, again, they're so generous with how they're sharing their personal stories, right? how they're sharing their resources for free. Like so much is out there for free with ICBT right, right now. And it may not always be. And, and the, you know, some of them are starting to charge, which I think you're sharing your knowledge, charge for your services, right? Yeah. But I just, I'm so glad to hear their voices as clinicians that actually have OCD and they are... They've benefited from this modality and they're able to say, hey, guys, like this is something that I wish that I could have had when ERP wasn't useful for me at some points in my wellness journey. So, yeah, I think those are some really great points. And I agree. I think (laughs) I tend to probably think in parallel processes, though, because I'm like always like, oh, this makes me think of this analogy. But yes, you're right. The conversation we're having is very much the same. Here in the States particularly, so outside of the States in Canada and in parts of Europe that are already using and implementing ICBT, it's it's a more normalized practice. Here, it's not the gold standard. Although, I don't know about you ladies, but I know there's more than one kind of gold. There's a rose gold. There's a white gold. There's whatever. We can have a couple different golds. I'm not choosy. Like, if somebody wants to give me gold, feel free, right? (laughs) Yeah. So this is still research-based, but I think similarly, it's kind of a microcosm of I feel on the outskirts because we have to justify why this matters when really there's evidence-based treatment still for it. 
And so I totally hear that. And I do feel like I've been able to build a trusting relationship with ICBT researchers and community, etc. And am learning more and more every day about ICBT. And so I think even us just saying here now, and I could even go to the group. Are you a part of the ICBT group on Facebook for yeah, providers? I yeah, I can even go like, hey, this is a great discussion around how can we diversify? Because I know that ICBT is welcoming anyone, but there might need to be a little bit of, hey, I don't see you at the gathering. You Are you on right. your way? There might need to be a potluck. Yeah, come to the potluck because this cornbread, you know, maybe that cornbread didn't work for you because butter, dairy, but I got a dairy-free one here. It is still gold and I think it's pretty tasty. And so being able to have that choice to offer so that everybody, again, is included. I don't know if you guys deal with a lot of this in your families, but certainly as time has gone on, I feel like when I was a kid, this didn't exist as much. But really, I think there just wasn't as much awareness about food sensitivities and intolerances or actual, like I have an autoimmune disease where I can't have gluten. You do too? Have gluten. Yeah. Are you Celia? Yeah. I yeah. do. I'm not sharing it with as much excitement as you are. <laughs> It's okay. You don't have to be excited. You know what, though? I love it when I meet another celiac. And this is this is probably speaking to kind of the like, wow, I don't have to explain myself. You get it. You're like, yes, oh, we don't want to be a part of this club. That's the one difference. <laughs> With it, like, there's something very special about recognizing and validating your worth inclusive of race, not with celiac. We're like, uh, I'm I'm great despite it. My body wants to fight me on the regular. Oh, well, I guess I can't have gluten. But yeah, when you go to a family gathering, so you totally get this. My family tried so hard with cross-contamination. I love them. And they're, I recognize that you're like, you're speaking my language, the loving intent. But there's still stuff where they're like, I made this for you. And I have to go, thank you. I can't have it. And they're like, but I use gluten-free flour. And you're like, I know but there might be cross-contamination because I've been in your house before and someone's literally throwing flour over in the corner. So I probably shouldn't even be in the room there. I'm going to die soon. But the, the intention is great. And yet, what do you do? You're at that family gathering and you're going, I wish I could have the cornbread. I, even though technically I could make cornbread and fit in, it feels sad that I can't just relax and enjoy and kick it because I have to be careful of these things. This is the same conversation, right? And so being able to go, hey, no, actually there is cornbread and it is safe and you get to eat it. You have never smiled so big and so genuinely when you're like, I am just, I'm included. Yeah. yeah. I'm included. You are so spot on. <laughs> I know. Like, you know my pain. I, I do know your pain. Bianca's like, wow, that's a, some formative cornbread. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I like to think cornbread has always been formative in my life. But, but, yes, it does mean I have to put in more work. Is that fair? I could definitely get into the boohoos of is that fair or not. Then I have to, like, I can't just go to a fast food restaurant. We're like, are we yeah. still talking about this? Yeah. <laughs> but. I'm at a point where I'm actually grateful that I'm celiac, even though it's a pain in the butt, because I have my life back. I have energy back. I'm not sick all the time. That is yeah. really amazing. And it's okay if I still need to grieve 
where yeah. the setbacks are from time to time. But it's like it's it's the same conversation that we're having. Right. Yeah. It is in, in a way like it is. It's like, how can I be included? How mm-hmm. can I feel included? And even if I can't take from everything on the buffet, if someone's not like, Nicole, where where is that girl? Then I'm going to be like, ah, I don't really seem or feel visible. Right. And so already our differences can make us feel so separated. But just having one person reach out and be like, where are you? <laughs> yeah. And from again, from what I've seen from the ICBT community, Frederick, our our demo. Demo, mm-hmm. like he is pretty open. And again, he seems really generous, too. Yeah. And even just the other day, I don't know if you saw this in the group, but someone made a comment about gender identity and how, you know, there needed to be some tweaks in the language and the manuals and and some of the work that has already been introduced. And he right away said, oh, okay, that well, you know, initially he said he gave an example about why the gender term that he used in the book was used, but he said, this is great feedback. And this is something that I'm going to apply to some of the future work as we do the edits. And so I think, like, I think we could reach out to them. I, I mean, we would obviously be happy to support them in just making that community more inclusive. And, you know, I think they would be open to having those conversations. But I just think, to your point, we're just... I think as clinicians of color, we're ready for people to say, okay, wait, let me look around. Like, where you at? Where you at, friend? <laughs> like, how many people look like me? <laughs> right. And, and oh, wait, this isn't reflective. And maybe it is reflective of the communities where ICBT started, right? But obviously, it's not reflective of the United States and certain pockets of the U.S. And so I just think we we all have work to do. Like this is never ending work. Right. Um, that's to continue. Yeah. And, you know, one of the points I made in a recent episode, I can't, maybe it's possible I said it in more than one episode too, but I was like, you know, earning trust and maintaining trust. It's an active process, right? Like you don't just go, okay, well, I did that check like again your actions speak louder than words how can we feel included how can we feel seen who is my i don't have to explain why i'm asking or where i'm coming from but i'm here for you and that's family right that's that's some friends are our chosen family and that's part of why i will say like hey if you don't have this in your family know that you have a family here and know that you can have these chosen safe spaces to be able to have this talk and have this conversation. And I do get the impression that ICBT is very, very open. And I agree, like it's, there's a lot of usually big, strong personalities that have to be to kind of get where they are that don't always take feedback. They're like, it's cute that you talked about that. (laughs) They don't necessarily incorporate feedback. And so the piece that I think you're speaking to that really goes hand in hand with this is not only do we need to communicate but we need to listen it doesn't mean we will always be able to apply or not apply or whatever but it's a big difference 
And if someone's actually listening to you and if someone's going, uh-huh, 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 okay, and then nothing changes, right? You're like, I don't feel heard in this situation. Do you really want me here, Yeah. right? Yeah. Like, when I walk through the door, I think about some conferences that are specific or trainings that are specific to OCD. And I look around and I'm usually the only one, right? It's like, do you want me here? I can remember one of the first ones that I went to. Felt like a look of, oh, like, are you in the wrong place? And it's like, yes, I'm in the right place. And I'm so excited about being here because I'm learning. You don't usually see me at places or people like me at places like this. But when I think about like my, the church that I kind of feel like I connected to the most in, in my adulthood, the thing that drew me to it is that People walked up to me and they were curious about me and they said, hey, like, let's go to lunch. I want to learn about you. And it wasn't just like this, like motive to like get me to do whatever they wanted to do, but they genuinely just wanted to know me and connect with me. Right. And right. so how do therapists and I'll, I'll, you know, specifically say non-clinicians of color create that emotional safety when the one person walks through the door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, oh, hey, and then keep going. Or is it like, come, come be a part. Like, here, these are the materials. Like, where are you practicing? You know, that kind of thing. So. Right. Uh, Introduce you to everybody and their sister. I mean, again, like the family gathering. <laughs> Like, this is, this is my friend, this person. And you're like, even if I won't remember all these names, this is my dad. This is my, right? Like, you go through it all, right? Right. We might have to go back and be like, okay, who, uh, who are you again? Mm -hmm. Because I just met a lot of people. But at the same time, like, how welcoming does that feel? Oh, it feels amazing to be a part. And, and to your point about listening earlier, I think that's when that starts. And. And then even if that person can't do anything else except share that connection and share maybe if y'all talked about like the needs that that person felt dear to their heart and share that with someone else so that they can then have information and they share that with other people like that starts that level on something a little bit more massive like that individual can take it to a bigger place if that makes sense. It does. And then I mean, don't just mm -hmm. tell me, but talk with me. Yeah. Ask me, check in with me. Let me check in with you. Let this be reciprocal. Let this be right. engaging. Let this be authentic. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Totally. Oh, I feel it. I love it. I love this conversation, ladies. I just got like cold chills. It's like, I just want a big virtual group hug here. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> Bianca, do, are you a part of the ICBT group? I'm I'm not. I didn't know it existed. This is well, because I haven't been sticking my toe in it as much as some other people have. So that's good to hear. Let's consider this. Girl, where you at? Like I'm a I'm a join. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna, gonna see it today. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll try to do a link if I can figure it out. But yeah, I mean, because I would love and I love that you are already a part of it, Aaron. So I'll look for you. But yeah, I mean I I I love having these family gatherings and I, I feel like and I'm not trying to pivot it against ERP in any way, but ICBT is very, very welcoming. And I would love to have you join us over. I'm And look at it. Like, I'm not like an originator of ICBT, but I'm like, join us. That's right. 
that's because we're all family. And you're right. We need to look around and go, I love the people here. Where are the other people I love, too? Yeah, like when I've attended some of their, I guess it's a consultation group. I kind of look at like, okay, who's on? <laughs> on Fridays. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, I mean, I just think, I just think we, we got to work on it. We got to work on it. Although I will say sometimes I go to that and I don't turn on my camera because I, I've got like yesterday's mascara here and I'm like. Oh. No, I know. Not everybody has their camera on. <laughs> I don't have to be ready. I mean, this is a family talk. We're getting to the real stuff here. <laughs> so are you guys going to go to the IOCD conference in San Francisco? Yeah, we have been submitting proposals and great. You know, I'm really excited about it. I know. I mean, you and I, for sure, will have some gluten-free food. But, Bianca, you come, <laughs> along, you come along and you eat gluten or don't eat gluten. Because whether you like gluten or not, you are a part of the fam. But we should, I would love to see you ladies. And <laughs> I don't know if you've done this yet, Erin. And, Bianca, you could still do this with gluten. You might look forward to certain foods. I've already mapped out. All the gluten-free places that are near or within Uber Eats. And there's so many possibilities. Well, already done it for I, July. <laughs> Girl, I'm going out to eat. You sent me your list so I don't have to do the yes, work. I do. I See, like, this is, again, this is what family is for. We talk and we share these resources, you know. So thank you so much to you both for taking the time and being with me today. It feels good. To have yeah. more family, to be able to <laughs> embrace and, and challenge this just super challenging, distressing, scary disorder. And, and I think it helps build hope. So I really, really appreciate both of you being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Nicole. You know, just exploring how to find solutions mm-hmm. <laughs> and how to have mental health equity. You know, so thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. I hope you ladies will come back. It'll be good to see you, not just in San Francisco. And if it's been a minute, then we'll, you know, hey, where you at? We can, we can. Check in. Yeah, we can check in. I love that. Thank you for that. Well, y'all, I am so grateful for that conversation and I kind of wish I could just keep talking. I could talk to you all day, Erin and Bianca. This has been so great and I really appreciate how we've been able to celebrate this theme of being better together. Looking around, realizing who's not here in this family and checking in, saying, hey, are you coming? Or without even batting an eye, inviting others in to join in the conversation. Come on, come on. This is for you too. It not only creates that sense of belonging, but it also just puts this application in practice. I'm here, you're here, we're not alone, and we're better together. So for today's intrusive thought segment, which for our newer fam is the application segment of my show, where, I mean, we really leaned into this let's eat analogy today. So just consider this the plate. We're going to pack you on your way out the door. Morsels that can feed you and sustain you throughout this week and that we can put into direct practice. So here's the challenge. I want all of us, all of us, you, me, all of us, to look around your treatment spaces. Look around to the individuals and the families that we have the honor to serve. I'm so glad they're there. But is anybody missing? Because if so, let's reach out. Let's invite them to know we're here. 
and we're hoping you'll join us too. For us OCD specialists, that may mean reaching out to a friend or a colleague and wonder if they would like to learn more about treating OCD. You want to know what this is all about? Can even be kind of fun sometimes. <laughs> For some, it may mean linking clients with some of the dynamic research happening to try and expand our field to be more reflective of the people, all people, who suffer from OCD. Research studies are often a great way not only to get support diversifying the research, but often treatment is not only provided, but supported and funded as a part of those studies in a day and age when nothing is cheap, y'all. The inflation of all the things. It's like, ugh, I don't even want to think about it. So participating in the research can not only help diversify the research, it can help pay for the treatment. Now that's what I call a win-win. And most certainly, most certainly, it means continuing to invest in genuine relationships throughout our OCD family so we can create, support, and heal the trust that is so foundational to all of us. For family members, this may mean talking with friends, sending a text, or even sharing this podcast. Are you feeling intimidated or overloaded and not sure how to have this conversation? Well, then maybe just even leaving a five-star review for this podcast, wherever you enjoy your podcasts, that can do. Because whether we're adding stars or commentary, the techie algorithms, they speak in numbers, hits, impressions, likes, shares. So add one number, your number, so more people can find this family and know they're not alone. I mean, the amazing thing is sometimes we don't have to have the words or know how to shape things to help support hope, to help create change. But the good news is, because our action of staying present, even if it's just liking a post or sharing on your story about ERP Kaleidoscope or hearting a post, it means something. It communicates something. I am glad you're here. And I'm here too. Y'all, it's that virtual hand squeeze, just letting others know you're not alone. And for our OCD warriors, those suffering along to sometimes get through this hour, let alone minute, please know we are here with you. And this gathering, our community, this family, all of it is here because you are worth fighting for. You are more than your thoughts. And your brain, your amazing brain that has reasoned you to survive the days, months, years that you've battled OCD, there's hope for you too. There's hope for your family. There's hope for our family. And it may be hard to feel it right now, but that's okay, boo, because we, we've got you. We're here with you. We'll hold on to you and we'll hold on to that hope until you can feel it for yourself. So let's do this, y'all. And uh, let's look around. Who are we missing? Because we're ready to take this party off the charts. But hey, let's make sure everyone's here for it. Because you, me, we, we don't want anybody to miss this. Till next time, y'all.
Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like a text with some flair asking when will you be there? That's right, I went there. And you can too at ocdfamilypodcast.com.